got an outline coming around, hot off the press. We're thinking this month about what it means to serve in our church and how God supplies our every need. We've prayed for God to give to us those who would teach our kids. And in one way, we've seen just this morning that God's answered that prayer in Sarah. And so we've got to continue to pray that God might supply our every need. When there's a need, there's an opportunity for us to see God at work. I want to start by telling you a true story from the 1740s. There was this old lady. She was very sick, almost dead. And there was her nephew, a nephew who really loved her auntie in so many ways, but he's 14, and he's sitting by her bed watching his beloved auntie die. Now, this 14-year-old kid was kind of sort of religious, but he didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian. His auntie had talked to him about her faith. She tried to explain the gospel of the Lord Jesus to this kid, but he hadn't quite got it. Now she was old and dying, and she was pretty well dead. That's what everyone thought. In fact, everyone thought that she was in a coma, and nobody could seem to wake her up, and people started to do what you shouldn't do to a person who you think is in a coma. That is, talk to them. People would come to her, and they felt sorry for her. They'd say by her bedside, this poor old lady, she's had such a hard life. Nothing has gone particularly easy for her. She didn't have much money. She lived in what many would consider poverty. Everything had gone wrong for her, this poor lady, this poor lady. And at that moment, this lady opened her eyes and she said, who calls me poor? Who calls me poor? I am rich soon. I shall stand before him bold as a lion. She then collapsed and died. And that nephew, who didn't really understand what Christianity was about, that nephew who loved his auntie, who heard those words, he never forgot them. He never forgot them because he realised that here in this, what to many was, you know, a life that was not particularly great, here to many was, in this woman's life, not the life that we would admire. Here in her life, this woman had something that he didn't have. This lady was an active Christian woman. He recalls his name uh, this 14-year-old kid would grow up to be a preacher. His name's John Chenick in the 18th century. And he would consider her life and the way in which she lived her life and the way in which she served others. And she used to say this as she served in her local church. She said, I'm not giving and giving and this person is not giving me anything back. I'm serving the Lord Jesus. This old lady, poor, who served tirelessly in her church, not exactly enviable in the world's eyes, she had a profound impact on 
her nephew, who was to have a profound impact as a preacher and a minister of Christ. I want to look at 1 Peter with you as we think about serving. Because often when we think about serving, we think about the ideal conditions. It would be a lot easier to serve if... And we think about what the ideal conditions could be. The ideal conditions in church. But the book of 1 Peter reminds us that the nature of Christian service is never ideal. It wasn't 2,000 years ago and it's not today because the primary image in the book of 1 Peter, this letter that the Apostle Peter writes to a church that's really doing it tough, the primary image is that of one who suffers. It's written for those who are marginalised. It's written for those who are mistreated. And in fact, it's those who are mistreated who might be considered in the world's eyes poor and despised. It's in fact those people that Peter considers honoured. It's those kind of people Peter thinks that we should envy. If you've got the book of 1 Peter open, I want to flip you back to chapter 2 because the notion of suffering is, is really significant and here's where it comes from. It comes from chapter 2. And this is how the Christians are to respond. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See what Peter wants to remind these Christians, what's at the centre of their lives is not just their experience of suffering, it's actually Jesus and his experience of suffering. He was the king who had insults hurled at him. He was the one who was victorious even though, verse 23, he suffered. He was the one who people thought was a criminal, but he doesn't entrust himself to a human court, he entrusts himself to God who judges justly. And so we need to remind ourselves as Christian people that it's the Lord Jesus who we serve and it's like the Lord Jesus. That's how we serve. See, because we're reminded in the book of 1 Peter that although there is suffering, although there is hardship, the hardship that the Lord Jesus experienced and the hardship that we experience are connected. And they're not just similar. They're not just similar. Jesus suffered, we suffered, yes, that's true, but they're not just similar. Why? 1 Peter chapter 2. By his wounds, we are healed. As we live the Christian life, as we experience hardship and suffering, as we cling to the death of the Lord Jesus, there's something in us that changes. There's something in us, those wounds that the Lord Jesus 
had, they're the ones that heal us. And there is an incredible freedom from knowing that. And that enables us to serve. Because we must remember that whatever we might do, it's in response to what the Lord Jesus has already done. And so we need to keep reminding ourselves, refreshing our hearts and remembering what he has done. It's so common. It's so much part of life that we're so caught up in what's, what's in front of us, all our obligations, all our things to do. And so what do we miss? We miss the Lord Jesus and in what he's done and in how his wounds have healed and continue to heal as far as we cling to them. That old aunt, I take it, she was healed. She was healed from the recognition, from the need of the recognition for others, the need for reciprocation, the need for return as she served wholeheartedly. The book of 1 Peter, um, we're up to the second point of point one, the context of the household. The context that Peter gives uh, is mainly concentrated on that of the household. In the ancient world, the, the household was a, a microcosm for what was going on in the wider world. In fact, that's where we get our word economy. The, the word economy comes from the Greek word for house. So what, what happened in the ancient world in a house was, if you like, a, a microcosm of what was going on in the wider world. And so as these pressures are coming in on these Christian people that Peter is writing to, he turns to the internal, that the house of God, and, and he gives some, some order and some shape to how these persecuted Christians are to conduct themselves. There were lots of opportunities in the ancient world to have people over to your house, for example, to offer hospitality. It was normally done on a, on a basis strata. Uh, so what you would do is you might invite and show hospitality to someone just a little bit above your rank in life. And then there were certain obligations that uh, that person had to you and you to them. And if you could invite them to your house a bit more above you, then you could share in their honour and you might just bring yourself up a rung. But here, in the book of 1 Peter, the way the world operates and the way the Christian church are to operate are two very different things. Because we're going to see that Peter encourages hospitality, but he's indiscriminate. You, you could even have someone below your station at life. In fact, you can have anyone. In fact, you must have everyone Peter is flipping upside down the categories of how the world thinks and how the Christian church should operate. You can see there in our reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, he keeps using this phrase, one another, one another. And it's a forceful phrase that we, we miss so often. Because in the ancient world, it wasn't one another, it was just whoever whoever you could get something from. But that's not the logic of how the household of 
God is to operate. We want the ideal conditions to serve. We think, I I could give myself wholeheartedly to the service of God and his people if... But the ideal conditions weren't there in the first century. They're not here in the 21st century. Service is always hard. And those that Peter writes to had plenty of reasons to give up. They've been on the receiving end of abuse. They're paying for it every time they serve the people of God. And so Peter wants to remind them of a couple of things. He wants to remind them ultimately that there is a payday, that that's not something that they need to orchestrate for themselves. He doesn't say to them, yes, you execute justice on my behalf. No, what does he say, verse 5? He says, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're not to worry about what's just and unjust because they don't have to work that out. God does. And verse 6 follows on. For this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. I think what that's saying is complex verse but it's saying that Uh, those who have died um, keep the gospel with them and so the priority in the face of suffering and injustice the priority isn't our justice the priority is the preaching of the gospel this is to be the focus for the people of god of god those who have heard while alive die and go to meet christ as their savior not as their judge that is a priority for the people of God. And for those that would do harm to the Christian church, the tables will be turned. They will be found guilty. And so the motivation for service is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's not, Peter's not concerned here about retribution. He's concerned about the preaching of the gospel. And that has an outworking That's really what I want to concentrate in there in verses 7 to 11. Because in verse 7 it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled that you can pray. Peter is concerned here with the return of Jesus. And the return of Jesus is not simply, you know, rarefied doctrine that's put somewhere in a dusty corner of the Christian mind or the Christian life. No, Peter wants the return of Jesus to be a truth that transforms what they do now. What they do now. And so the doctrine of Jesus' return is one that I hope gives us motivation for activity. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, it's not you know, frenzied, random activity. But it's an ordered activity. It gives some shape and order to what that activity is like. You can see there in verse 8 of 1 Peter 4. Up to point 2, that that there's a a motivation for their service. It's not retribution. It's not justice. No, their motivation 
for service is there in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is concerned here. As he looks on this church, he's concerned for a key element. And that is the priority, the sincerity and quality of Christian love. Christian love is not just a value of their organisation. Christian love is not just a means to an end. Christian love is that vital display that Christ is at work in this people. The word there, love one another deeply, has this sense of strenuous, athletic activity. The image is that of an athlete who's outstretched with everything they've got. That's the kind of energy Peter is saying. That kind of energy needs to be directed in love. This is not, you know, gushy-mushy kind of love. Because you can see as he... Um, continues, you can see that it's, it's real. It's tangible. And this is something that we as Christian people can't evade. This is central to our core. This is central to how we think about service because we can do a lot of things or we can think that we're doing a lot of things around church in Christian ministry. But if the motivation is not love, we're wasting our time. We're not actually serving God. We're not serving others if our motivation is not love. Um, If you want, you can flip over to Colossians chapter 3. You see that Paul also picks up on this idea and he speaks about the change that's at work in the believer's life and he uses this beautiful imagery of clothing. Um, Some of us like fashion, a lot of our women, some men. Also, quite interested in fashion. There's a couple of us here, remain nameless. But Paul deploys this imagery of fashion and, and he says, look, it's, it's like you've had a makeover. And this is trite in one sense, but it's like you've had a makeover. It's like your, your, your old self, the way you used to dress. You used to put on the cloak or you used to put on the garment of lying. But he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, cut that off, don't lie. That's not the piece of clothing that you want. That's how you operated and acted before you became a Christian. No, what you need is to put on different clothes. And have a look there in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the garments for the Christian life. These are the preparatory garments because he's going somewhere. That's just a start, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because when you start to think that way about one another, guess what happens? Verse 13, you begin to bear with one another and forgive what grievances you might have against one another because you know that you too have been forgiven. And finally there in verse 14, he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Continue that fashion analogy. It's like love is that big trench coat 
that is that kind of wraparound, head-to-toe kind of garment. Love is the one that enfolds and wraps around everything else. See, love is to be our motivation for our service. Love is to be our motivation for the exercise of our gifts. And that doesn't mean that we're pretending that people don't sin against us. Have a look there in verse 8. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. When it says that there in verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins, the apostle isn't encouraging us to ignore sin, to pretend that it's not there. Love doesn't avoid evil. I think that this um, verse in verse 8, Peter is quoting from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, which says, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. What does it mean for love to cover over sins? Love doesn't pretend those sins are not there. That's not covering. Love knows that they're there. But love chooses to draw a source of forgiveness, our own forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. And over the ugliness of one another's sin, we place over it that garment of love. We don't pretend it's not there. It's there. We feel it. We experience it. But we cover it with love. And so, what does that look like? Well, that's a lovely idea, isn't it? A beautiful kind of cloak of love that covers everything and we're just all in these clouds of love bouncing in this happy, joyous community of God's people. What does it look like? Well, it's not just a mere emotional feeling, no. He continues what it looks like. He says that, that in fact, love just can't stay as a concept, that it has an expression, it has an action. And off the back of verse 8 is verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. How will we know we have been loved? Well, it's when we give to others. It's where we share what we have. Now, the context here is the sharing of the home, but I think the context generally in the Scriptures is the sharing of everything that one has for the people of God. See, as a church, we want to be a gym, if you like. We, we want to train one another and train to grow our spiritual muscles. And we want to be a school. We want to um, learn what it is to follow Christ. But we also want to be a hospital. We want to be a place where those who are sick, where those who are lonely where those who are struggling might, might take refuge, might find a place to heal, to experience the healing of the Lord Jesus. And the wonderful thing is that I think God is at work amongst us in this way. We had a man who first came to ESL a couple of years ago. David is his name from Iran. He was welcome there. Uh, he came uh, during the week and he helped us when some of the men were meeting to fix stuff up around the church and he was welcomed and embraced 
there. He, uh, he's moved a long way away now, but he was driving past and he wanted just to come and say hi because he experienced the hospitality of our church. A man, very different background to many of us, but he was welcomed. He found refuge from a confusing, busy and tiring world here. And so we have an opportunity to be that kind of place for so many in our world who are tired. So many in our world who are confused. So many in our world who are lonely and isolated and are suffering themselves. I know many of us have homes, beautiful homes, that are quite empty. And it's a beautiful thing to see those who would not normally come into our homes welcomed into our homes through the door of this church and into our lives. Prayer is an important component here. Peter makes that clear. I won't touch on that now. But where to offer hospitality without grumbling. That's one of those phrases where you think, gee, uh, you know, the Bible's written in such a different context, I could never understand why you would offer hospitality and grumble when the people bring their toddler and then for the next two hours after you've gone, you're repacking, restacking pretty well everything in the house. No, we to do it without grumbling because ultimately it's Christ we're serving and responding to his love. What if Brad Pitt was to walk into our church? I think he'd get a pretty good welcome at least from half of us here. I saw an article that perhaps suggested he was a Christian. Um, I'm not sure, I don't know about that, but I'm pretty sure he'd get a pretty good welcome, pretty well from everyone actually, not just half of us, but everyone here. It's all that we're to show hospitality to. Jesus makes this point. He makes this point in Matthew chapter 25. And in verse 35, he speaks about two different type of people. When he'll return, there'll be two different type of people. There'll be the people who really got this and those who didn't. And for those who got that, he says this in verse 35, for when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. These are the people of the kingdom of God. And these are the least. These are the least. But as we serve the least, as we serve those who are struggling, those who are isolated, those who are lonely, as we serve those in Jesus' mind, according to Matthew chapter 25, we're actually serving him. We're feeding him. Have a look at it. It's a, it's a really interesting passage Matthew 25, verses 31 to 36. And I know that many of us, when we, when we think about serving, we think that we can't do it. We think that it's too hard. But here, Peter wants to encourage us, finally, that it's God's strength that's at work in, our, in us. We're like Jesus as we serve sacrificially, but we're also empowered by Jesus as we serve sacrificially because God supplies our every need for service. Have a look there in verse 10. Each one 
should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. The assumption here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 is that every single person in the church of God is gifted. There is nobody who is not gifted. Some might have perceivably more gifts than others. We might not have the gifts that we want. It's a bit like if you've got curly hair, um, put your hand up if you've got curly hair and you always want it straight hair. Pretty well everyone with curly hair, right? We want everything that we don't have. Well, that's the same with gifts as well. Don't worry. You've got curly hair because God wanted you to have curly hair. So do I. And you have whatever gift you have because you're not as good as choosing your gifts as he is. And so we need to recognise that. We need to recognise that it's God who gives the gifts and he knows how to give. And so service in the people of God is an opportunity to see God at work from the way that he's made us, from the way he is changing us as we put off the old and we put on the new, as we display love. It's not a place for the parading of gifts because that would be ironic, wouldn't it? Because it's God who gives. Um, Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? If it's a gift, it's been given. And it's been given by God. What do you have that you didn't receive? What's the answer? Nothing. And so there's no place for the parading of gifts, but there's also no place for the hiding of them either. Imagine you received... uh, a gift of Danish pastry for breakfast this morning. And you've got a family of seven and you're worried. You're worried about eating that gift because of what others might think. Well, you wouldn't have a problem eating it, would you? If you knew that the other six members of your family had been given a sausage roll, had been given a pie, had been given a croissant. No. We've been given varied gifts. And when we're given a gift, we're given it for the service of others. We're given to use it. And as people see us use our gifts, and they think that's fantastic, well, praise be to God, because that's him at work in us. And so we ought not to feel inadequate or uncomfortable or bad if we're exercising our gifts Because it's God that's working in us. Gifts are for others. And they're not to be toyed around with. They're not a banner to be waved. They're a tool to be used. And they're varied. They're varied like a rainbow. You see there at the end of verse 10. It's in various forms that God has given his gifts. And finally, you see that Peter just gives two examples of various gifts. He he says that there's a gift, verse 11, of speaking. And we might think, well, you know, of course, those up front are the ones who have the gifts. And in one sense, whoever um, is up the front may be gifted, may not be gifted. But normally when we think of gifts, we think about the up front 
kind of thing. And Paul, and sorry, Peter has that in mind. He speaks about those who would speak. And really, they're just passer honorers. Uh, they're speaking God's words after him. That's certainly um, the case in Stephen's mind in Acts chapter 7. He says about Moses, Moses was a speaker of God and all he did was, chapter 7 verse 38, he received living words to pass them on to us. That's all someone who does, who speaks. They just pass on living words, God's words, living words, but they just pass our honours. And so, in Peter's mind, that's not the limit of gift. It's not up front. It's not just speaking. No, have a look there. It's those who would serve. Yeah, of course, in the ancient context, gift was, and in our context as well, gift was those people up the front. But here in Peter's mind, it's not just those up the front. It's any who would serve. Any who would serve. And any who would serve with a sense of weakness, fearfulness, and inadequacy. Because if we serve from that place, that's when God strengthens us. If we feel competent, we've done this so many times, we actually don't need God's strength. We can do it ourselves. But when we serve one another, knowing our weakness, frailty, and inadequacy, we see the strength that he provides for the purpose that he intends leading to the praise that he deserves. So may we serve one another in this way. Amen. Please stand.